Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. It is Niall Boylan with you right to to 2 o'clock this afternoon. A shameful day in Irish history. Yet another shameful day in Irish history. Let's look at all the newspapers today and see what they're saying. Our Homes of Shame, Mother and Baby Homes Report, exposes dark chapter in our history. That is in the Irish Daily Mail. Apology is just not enough. A mother and baby home survivor said that today's state apology alone won't bring closure to the mothers still haunted by their experience decades later. That was in the evening. Echo. Or the Echo, should I say. Uh, the Irish Daily Mirror says, Mother and baby hell homes. And, uh, very daunting picture there of a teddy bear on a grave. Which is, I know. Uh, the Herald says, uh, pay for your sins. Taoiseach Michal Martin has called on the Religious Orders Association with mother and baby homes to make a financial contribution to redress scheme for survivors. The Star says, gates of hell. The gates of um, Tume, mother and baby's home. 9,000 illegitimate babies died in homes from neglect and abuse. The Irish Independent, a nation's shame. This is the one that kind of got me a little bit, I'll be honest with you, because the picture that they use um, shows exactly the picture that I've seen this morning and many times of St. Patrick's Home in the Navan Road. And this particular one is Sean Ross Abbey. And it's the picture of um, the area where they keep all the cots. And all these babies would be lined up. There's like in this one, there's about 20 or 30 cots. Um, and in St. Patrick's Home, you would have 30, maybe 30, 40 cots in one room. And in those cots, all the babies were kept and somebody would go in and feed them three or four times a day, check, see if they're still alive. And sadly, by the way, they had twice, as ch- twice the chance of dying in these homes that they would have had in the, the general community. And in the earlier days, going back to the 1920s and 30s, 85% mortality, 15% lucky enough if you survived. I suppose I'm one of the lucky ones, St. Patrick's Home on the Navan Road. I had an 85% chance of making it out of the place. And it kind of makes me think about when I was born. I was there for 16 months. So I was in one of those cots in one of those rooms for 16 months. And people think that, you know, actually don't remember that. And I probably, I don't really remember it. No, I don't obviously don't remember it. I was only 16 months old. But in saying that, you know, we talk all the time about what psychologists say. And psychologists talk about, you know, those kind of formative years of a child's life and the bonding at the start and everything else. And I'm sure many people like myself would end up with issues, you know, and maybe I, I kind of probably have some insecurity issues and I think it probably comes from that. But the best headline... I have to say, when I say the best, um, I don't mean any of it's good. They're all bad headlines. It's the Irish Examiner. And the Irish Examiner has a full page and it says, May they rest in peace. And it has, uh, In memory of the children who died in Bespra, mother and baby home and small writing at the moment, at the, bo- the bottom. And the whole page, the whole front page, is filled with all the names and the years that the babies died in Bespra. I think that is the best uh, cover that I've seen this morning. Um, but it's important that we acknowledge it and it's important that we talk about it. Uh, we've already given it two days and we've decided, obviously, there are different aspects to this report that we need to talk about. And I think it's very important that we give it enough time. We've spent, let's be clear about it, eight months talking about COVID-19. I think this is equally as important. We think about the thousands of people who have died. We think about the thousands, 56,000 unmarried mothers, as they're called in the report. And that makes me very uncomfortable saying that because that's not a word that we use anymore. But those unmarried mothers, uh, the 56,000 of them, and 50, I think 57 and 56,000 children who were born in these homes. 
And there's probably more, by the way, that was only in the 18 homes, of course, that were investigated. There's a lot more than that, to be honest with you. There's thousands more. Many of those children, by the way, would have went to America, uh, would have been sold off to the UK. And I use the word sold. I know that the report didn't use that because the report said they found no evidence of that. <laughs> I can say I have a receipt at home. When I say a receipt, a thank you for the donation that my father gave for me. So people were asked to give donations. Um, some of the stuff that's in the report is disgusting, to say the least. They found no evidence of systematic abuse. What a ridiculous and insulting thing to say to all the women that we've spoken to over this period of time, over the last two days when we talked to women. And when we talked to women when we, when, during the two babies story going back two years ago, and we talked to women then who had gone to these mother and baby homes. What a disgusting and horrible thing to say. Only over the last two or three years have we defined the word abuse when we talk about a domestic abuse, for example, as coercive control, financial abuse, etc., etc. So we, we know there's many different ways to abuse people. So is the report essentially saying unless somebody was beaten to a pulp uh, with a stick that they weren't abused? Hmm. No evidence of systematic forced adoptions. We talked yesterday to a girl who was 15 years of age, 16 years of age when she signed an adoption form because she was told by her parents and by the home that she wasn't bringing the baby home. She was 16. That's not informed consent. This wasn't informed consent. But the report said no evidence of systematic forced adoptions. You're having a laugh. Children were twice as likely to die in the mother and baby homes. And in relation to redress, by the way, it said it's arguable, for example, that unmarried mothers who were not in a mother and baby home, who were who reared their children without any financial assistance from the state because we wouldn't have had those financial HAP schemes and stuff in those days, have as good a case for redress as unmarried mothers who were in mother and baby homes paid for the state. In other words, we're not giving them any money. Well, you know, there's going to be no redress here, unless, of course, you were beaten. So if you can prove to us that, have you got any pictures of bruises or something like that? Can you prove to us that you were beaten? It doesn't matter that you were emotionally distraught. It doesn't matter that you were traumatized. It doesn't matter that the rest of your life you will have to think about the baby that you didn't want to really give up, but that you were forced to give up. All that doesn't matter. If you can prove you're beaten, we'll give you a few quid. That's what that says to me. That's the way I read it. The Congregation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and Mary, who owned and ran Bespur, did not know where the bodies were buried. They didn't know. So how many bodies do you need to bury to forget where you've buried them? I mean, really, do people believe this? The burials of the children who died in the three uh, Sacred Heart homes, Bespera, Castle Pollard and Sean Ross, are not recorded at all. Most importantly, there is no certainty about where they're actually buried, according to the Commission. Um, in terms of abuse, right? Listen to this bit. In terms of abuse, the report states the Commission did not hear any evidence of sexual abuse of child residents, but did hear some evidence of physical abuse, which, while unacceptable, was minor. Minor in comparison to the evidence of physical abuse given by the Ryan Report. Now, the Ryan Report, of course, was about clerical abuse and sexual abuse of children. It's a very different type of report. This is about traumatising women, stigmatising women and judging women just because they happen to be pregnant and not married. And why? Because the Catholic Church told them that you don't get pregnant if you're not married. Now, in fairness to Eamon Martin this morning, Archbishop Eamon Martin, and I am going to say in fairness, and I don't normally you know, give any kudos to the Catholic Church, but he did say that he accepts that the Church was clearly part of that culture in which people were frequently stigmatised, judged and rejected. So at least he's fessing up and saying, yeah, look, we're sorry that we played a part in this, but the, this 3,000, no, I haven't gone to all 3,000 pages of it yet, this report doesn't say that. It calls it a societal issue. Oh. 
Now, today I also want to talk about part of the report. The Commission states that adopted people should have the right to access their birth certificates and associated birth information if needed. And a referendum on this should take place. Now, the reason a referendum will have to take place is because we're all equal in the eyes of the law. And a mother who gives a child up for adoption is equal in the eyes of the law to a child. She's the, she's the right to say no. And she did that when she signed the consent form, that no communication would happen between the two and no information would be given out. So there is a legal basis for obviously changing the law. They may have to change the constitution of the country to give any person who's been adopted the right to their identity. And I want to know if you agree with that. Let me give you the counter-argument. And the counter-argument is that as well as the thousands and thousands of mothers out there who were forced to adopt their children, there were women who went to those homes who willingly adopted their children and don't regret it. They're probably few and far between, but they do exist. And they don't want Niall Boylan knocking on their door 50 years later because they have made moved on with their life and got married and had children and never told their new husband and children about the pre, their past. And they don't want Niall Boylan. How you doing? You're me ma'am. They don't want that happening. So they believe they have the right to say, no, I don't want my information passed on to, you know, to Niall or to anybody else or an adopted child. But whose rights trumps whose rights? I personally believe, I'm sorry, with the greatest respect to those women, you gave birth to a child. You're a mother. Whether you like it or not, you're a mother. And that child has the right to know who you are. You don't have to, you're not forced to have a relationship with them, but they have the right to know who you are. And they have the right to know who their father is. And they have the right to information. And that's personally my belief, and I'd be voting yes if there was a referendum. But how would you vote if there was a referendum? Do you believe those people have a right, those children? 56,000 of them. There's probably more, actually, when you include all the other uh, organisations as well. There's probably about 80,000 children would have been adopted in that period of time. Do you believe they have the right to that information? But I want to get your reaction to the report as well. And this will be probably the last day we'll cover the story uh, for the time being. And I'm sure we will be talking about more aspects of it in the future in relation to what the government are going to do. I do believe, by the way, it's shameful today that Micheál Martin will stand up at the doll and give an apology to the people who went to the mother and baby homes, uh, the children who were born there, without the report actually clarifying and acknowledging what actually happened. I think that's weird. But anyway, uh, keep texting. The number is 87 Let me go to Sheila O'Byrne. And Sheila was sent to St. Patrick's, same as myself, but mother and baby home uh, in Dublin's Navan Road. Uh, when she was just 19 years of age. Sheila, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. And how are you how today? Are you? How are you keeping today? Well, you know, it's been a hard a hard battle. It has. Between it has. standing outside dials and, you know, trying to get justice. And, you well, know, you be, I, I, know, I know your name, Sheila. It's very familiar to me. You've been campaigning Martin, and campaigning, yes. Campaigner as well. Yeah. campaigner. I was with you for uh, Jackie Fox. Oh, that's and right, for, for Coco's Law, that's right. Yeah, for yeah. Coco's Law, yeah. against bullying. Uh, yeah, but um, when you said about there's no evidence of Bessborough, I mean, I was handed at, at Alice and Larry's exhibition uh, in Conley Barracks. I was given on request to the mothers of Bessborough the actual original map, this children's burial ground, and I handed it to Minister... Catherine Capone when she was in office. I handed it to her. And I said, how come you have this map for two years and you did nothing about it? Now, I'm here on request for the mothers of Bessborough, and I'm glad to do so on their behalf, considering I'm the mother from St. Patrick's, mm-hmm. Navin Road. And they want answers, and so does the people of Cork. Because there are barriers. There's 900 in there. 
and I'll stand I stand up for Anna O'Gorman I stand up for her I've been with her all the way in the search of baby Evelyn O'Gorman to find the marking of baby Evelyn O'Gorman's grave for Anne along with Captain Coffey O'Brien and many more mothers I'm with the Irish First Mothers there's so many of us there we even have roads do, do you accept what they said in the report well I'm sure you don't accept what they said in the report they said the burials of children who died at the three Sacred Heart homes, Bessborough, Castle Pollard and Shanras, are not recorded at all. More importantly, there is no but, certainty but about where their be, bodies are buried. So they had to be, they, they, they had to be registered. They had to be registered for them. So they were all getting payments. They were getting, they were subsidised by the state. They were all getting payments. They're unregistered. They're registered. The, suge- the suggestion by somebody last night I was speaking to in relation to this situation where there was no record of, say, a child's death was that, uh, at, at, well, at the time what, what would happen is in these homes that if they if they register the child's death they wouldn't get a payment or a weekly payment or a monthly, whatever way they were being paid by the state. So they, in, in what they did was they if a child died they didn't pass on that information because they wanted to continue to get the payment. Yeah. Oh, they, they covered up big time. A lot of cover up here. And I'm going to say, Niall, I have requested numerous letters on behalf of Irish First Mothers, and especially Catherine Coffey O'Brien. Catherine's doing great work, one of the mothers of Desperate. We work together, we collaborate together, along with Finton Dunn, and uh, Finton, who's part of I, the... I Irish spoke to Finton last night, yeah. Yeah, yeah Finton, yeah. and God rest her, I'm disgusted that I'm sad about Catherine McMahon, because she died at the steps of, of the Geneva, the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a weakness and had a heart attack and died. Going in to stand up for the rights of the mothers and the children and the babies who suffered horrendously right up to 1998. And for, for those who died and perished and never got out. And for the illegal burial grounds, for every one of them she stood up for. And I've taken the, the, the I took the apron strings from Cathy. I said, I, oh, well, your legacy will live on because we will keep going until we get justice. Okay, well, 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 here's, well, here's the question, and I don't want to rush you, obviously, but I, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of people to get through, Sheila, but do you believe justice, do you believe I this do. report is justice? No. No, it's not. No. So I didn't get the report, so I've asked him for it. I, 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 I know you I want, want a physical copy. And by the way, that's I'm, something I want to point out. There's no point in putting an online copy on for a lot of the women who went to these homes, are in their 80s and 90s. Some of them are sadly passed away. A lot of them are quite elderly now. Putting it yeah. online on a laptop is no good. They want a physical no, copy of it. See, these are all the masters. Oh, everybody go online. Everybody, That collaborative form was always saying it. Everybody go online. Not everybody can go online, and not everyone can afford it, let alone afford to buy the paper. There's a lot of our mothers there in dire straits, and they are. You know, and they're living it. They really are in squalor. And I have to say... Um, just remind people again, Sheila, because they may not remember, I think, the last time you were telling us on the show. You, you, when you went to Navan Road, you were 19 years of age. Yeah. Uh, and what was the circumstances around that? The circumstances around that was, I mean, you were treated horrendously in there. I had a mixed race child. So, you know, it was a different different mm-hmm. routine for me, you know. Yeah. other mothers. But they, they you know, um, racism was trife in there. Yeah. was. And I mean, I was made walk around down grounds for 39 hours in labour, you know, and not knowing what was going to happen to me. And then when I was brought in then, I had the breach in my senses. No medication. There was no... Uh, those, they, they weren't... They didn't have experience of midwifery at all. 
and you know you had to pay for your penance you you were punished for that crime of the sin i mean jesus himself didn't wouldn't wouldn't be like that at all uh, you were punished for the, the crime of being pregnant and not married yes pregnant and breaking the original sin and church and state created that crime to criminalize us and abuse us abominably in the mother and baby homes for which i was abused and i stood up for mothers in there Mother. And when you when you say you were abused, um, Sheila, I mean the report states there there was no evidence of systematic well, abuse. And by the way, I believe you. I don't believe the report. Right? Oh yes, there is. Okay. Because and when when you say you're abused, I mean obviously it was a traumatic experience. Yeah, obviously well, you were verbally abused and demeaned on I a daily basis. I was, I was hit in there. And by by who? By staff of the home. Uh, by one of the I call her the overseer. You know there was over. Was she a nun? Yeah. No, she was a, a lay person. Okay. I think she was a doctor, but I can't say her name because you'd be sued. Oh, yeah, okay. For saying the name. But, uh, no, because I stood up and she was missing and I stood up for a, a poor unfortunate that was full of lice that walked into the streets and I said up to the Reverend Mother I took two of the lice and up to the office I went with the matchbox and I said, this woman needs help. She needs to be needs to go over to maternity wing uh, here in, you know, at the back of the big house and uh, for, the, for it to be looked after and I, I'm very uncomfortable and so is all the mothers and I shoved the matchbox over and out they popped she said I'll deal with this go back to your work following day when I came out of the nursery where I looked after the sick and the dying babies and how to were treated was abominable an animal was fed better and when, when you uh, had when you had your baby Sheila when I had my baby when my son came into the world they said well they weren't shouting at me Keep your voice down in there. You, you know, you're loading the tone in the building. You'll pay for your sins now. And when he came into the world, I, I could have died. I was butchered by them. Butchered. And I've always said it. And I'll keep saying it. And when, I, when my son came into the world, because he was mixed race, they said, what have we got here? What is this? And then I wouldn't be What is this? What is this? That's, what they That's the way they spoke about a young That's baby. That's how they spoke about because he wasn't white, you know. Yeah, He was yeah. mixed race. Okay. A beautiful baby. To speak about a baby like that. And I don't forget that. I never will forget that. And I told my son because I found him. And Billy Kelleher, I went to him because I couldn't get doors open. I went, I tried every way. I even went to try and get me file off the, off the Eastern Health Board. Do you, do you remember that? I mean, when you put him up, you put him up for adoption. I, I believe. Okay. I didn't want. I, I, I didn't want to. I, I, that's what I wanted to ask you about because they talk about no evidence of systematic forced adoptions, well, right? Is. Okay, of course. I, I want that's This is what I wanted to clarify. So the day that the last time you saw him, when, when was? The, well, obviously you, you've met up with him since, or you, you've contacted yeah, him since. Two years. But when when you when you were in St Patrick's, what was the la- when was the last time you saw him in St Patrick's? Um, it was. It took forty-two years. Yeah. To see him, to get doors open. But what, when you had the baby, I'm curious because I suppose I want to give people a bit of an insight into what it was like there. Oh, so well, when you, when you had the baby, and I know obviously you needed physical yeah. attention and medical attention after you had yeah. the baby, but they, they took the baby away, obviously. And what happened? When was the next time you saw him then? Well, I had to stand on the steps of St. Patrick's and watch him go. You know, I wasn't allowed to touch my flesh and blood. You wouldn't let me. Um, and when you say watch him go, watch a couple take him away. I stood in the steps while a car came up and there was a, I don't know who, who they were, they just came and 
he went off in the car, but he, he was taken actually to Temple Hill, St. Teresa's Temple Hill, Stein Hill, Black Rock. And uh, after I got out, um, looking up, my daddy signed me out, or I wouldn't have got out at all. I would have ended in the laundries the way others did. But however, I I uh, made me way to Temple Hill and made my last visit and to see him. And they said, only looking, no touching, only looking. That's what they said to me. So you weren't allowed to touch your baby? No. Daughters of Charity. And, again. and do you remember yeah. Do you remember the the adoption part of it? I mean, did I they... Do. Do they and put I a form in front of you and I say, sign that? I haven't got a choice. I have to put you before me. I said, I have to go home empty-handed because the way they preach, they're in the pulpit, the church, that it's a, it's a damning sin, that this sin is a terrible sin. And one of the nuns said to me, in St. Patrick's, and she was a Bon Secure nun, I want you to know, I want everyone to know this, the Bon Secure nuns collaborated with the Daughters of Charity. They were there too. And it was a bomb secure nun that said to me, now, Sheila, she said, never tell anyone that you're here because you're damaged goods and you will never, ever, ever be accepted in society if you ever mentioned that you were even here. So my advice to you is to keep your mouth shut. That's what she said to me. Oh my. And, and by the way, they say that there's no evidence of systematic abuse. To me, that's abuse. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether somebody hits you or not. In, yeah. re- in relation to the person who did physically abuse you, I right? I did get battered in it. And I worked... And, and now this is what I'm wondering: the, the people who physically abused you, right? And you talked about one lay person there recently, or a few minutes ago, and you talked about others in the past. Are they are they still alive? No, they're gone. They're all they're gone. gone. Okay, okay. Gone to, well, I hope I don't know where they're gone, but they're gone. A better place, no better place for them. But I was going to say, if if they were still alive, should people should be taking cases against these individuals? Yes, because I helped that poor girl that commitment life. I had to pay the penance for that because your one was missing. Mm. So I proved that she was missing when I went to the office to the Reverend Mother. So I decided then, after getting the hiding, which on my nose was gushing, your one was punching me, and uh, she threw the rubbish under and the, the slop because I used to serve the food, you know, in the big, where we used to eat at the wooden tables, scraps. There were rhymes of rashes they gave us. So I used to just, an animal was fed better, as, as I said. But they, you know, she threw the rubbish and the slop out and she said, somebody who went above my authority and she came down, grabbed me by the head, up she pulled me and she kept smacking me head, the side of me head off the wall. And she said, you will pick it up. I said, I won't. You pull it there. I was so defiant, I wouldn't. I said, oh, she couldn't break me no matter what she did. I said, I didn't put it there. You pull it there. You pick it up. So she couldn't, she couldn't have and I, and I want to remind people again, you weren't a prisoner. You, well, you didn't do anything. You committed no crime. The only crime yeah. you committed, according to these people, was a crime against God. Yeah, because you broke the original because sin. Because you broke the original sin. Okay, but yeah. before I, just before I go into the break, and I really appreciate you coming on the air again and talking to Sheila today, but in relation to what the, the report says, and this wanted to focus on this a little bit today, going forward, now you know what it's like trying to get information. I know what it's like trying to get information because it took me years to get information and you get it in scraps. Uh, you're, yeah. all, you're almost, you know, teased with the information that they might actually have. They have all the information. They have all the information. Oh, they do. They, they just don't want to. They just don't share it. But do you believe a person has a right to that information? Of course, they have the every right child, every child, got a right. And then they're going around preach. The, the nuns preach to the adoptees. They preach to them that your mother gave you up. Your mother didn't want you. Well, she's wrong there. She's wrong. And I have told numerous of them, and I've said it in videos. 
We did not give yous away. We did not. We were never given a choice. There was nothing there for us, no, nobody to help you. When I walked into after being after paying my last visit to my son in Temple Hill, I couldn't talk to anyone. I got to 45 but straight into South Down Street, up the stairs, wooden stairs, and you I had nobody to say, well, we could do this and we could do that. Nobody was there. You weren't given, nobody helped you. You were on your own. And going back then, you you know, you couldn't vote until you were 21. What chance did you have? So she just said, sign there, sign there. Well, I was in bits because I didn't, I didn't want to. Did you I understand what you were, did you understand what you were saying? Did you even get to read it? No, just sign there, sign there. That's it. That's, that's it. And if, you, and if you don't sign it, your damaged goods in society yeah, will never accept you. Will yeah. never accept you. Yeah, and don't ever tell anyone because nobody will ever accept you. Oh yeah. That's I mean, who's shocking. going to accept? Who's going to? For me, with a mixed race child back then, who's going to accept that? Oh God! The, the, I, if I said in the canal, we probably would have died because who's going to accept us? No one. And then you were shamed as the neighbours and the parish, and you know. And she, can well, I ask you, Sheila, because, you know, they, 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 they also mentioned the report that most of the women carried on with their lives as normal and seem perfect, I'm paraphrasing, seem perfectly fine now. Is there a day goes by, Sheila, that you don't think about this? They're fine. Well, I tell you, they want to start thinking because the mothers aren't fine. And I think of the poor mothers as well. They'll end up in the asylum. And I think of the little mothers that had, had their babies. I knew a little one that had twins. It was only, well, she was 11 gone and 12. And there was no, no no justice for that. But that was rape, you know what I mean? And what was, sorry, what year were you in St. Patrick's at home again? What year was that? I was there from 76 to 77. All right, okay, okay. I'm, I'm just wondering, the reason I'm asking is maybe somebody listening today was there in 1963 when I was born. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, Sheila, it was lovely talking to you again, and, and I'm sure I will be talking to you more about it because, of course, and I, I, I just, I, as I said, Niall, no, Neil, Niall, I, I, I just said that, you know, the, the, there's Joan McConville. She was one of the Irish first mothers. God love her. She's gone. She never saw justice. The only thing that woman wanted was was to have uh, one of them things that goes up the stairs. No, the seat. Yeah. That's all she wanted. That's all that woman wanted. A stair lift. Yeah, Joan McConville, God yeah. love her. And she okay. died a few months ago. And yeah. all the other mothers that died, and children, and babies, that never saw justice. But I have to get it across here now before we go. We have a there was a collaborative form, and this collaborative form was made up of academics, of um, adoptees, and then you had outsiders representing somebody that was in there. Yeah. Now these were speak. There was only one mother on that panel. These were representing us, and these actually did not. What the recommendations they were making, they did not ask our consent. They didn't. They didn't ask any of us. And Finton, Finton was on that panel, Finton Dunn. Yes, I spoke to Finton last night. He was representing Cathy the Lord of Mercy on it. Yep. And he, he asked questions, he put forward, and they weren't interested. No one comes to the mothers. They weren't interested. 
It, yeah. it seems to me, Sheila, that this report is all about just putting an end to this. And I'm not saying to silence everybody, but just to put an end to this so we can just move on with our lives again. And the government can give an apology. And you said, all, uh, you know, there might be a few quid given to a few people, provided you can prove, by the way, that you're physically abused. Um, you're not going to get any money otherwise, because they made that quite clear. Uh, because they said it was arguable, for example, that unmarried mothers were not in a mother-maybe home who were their children without any financial assistance to the state have as good a case for redress as unmarried mothers who were in the, ba- uh, the mother-maybe homes. In other words, just for being in a mother-maybe home, you're not getting any money. That's kind of what they're saying. Just for being in there, yeah. yeah. They're trying to say that they didn't, should they run it? Oh, well, of course, of course they did. Listen, listen, Sheila, I, I've run out, of, I've run out of time, but thank I know you. You're running out of time, and I stand up for your mother as well, Niall. I know, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The terrible injustice on us, and we want justice. You know, yeah. That's uh, as I said for for those who are gone as well. You know. Yeah, and yeah, together. and rest in peace to all those women, by the way, who didn't make it as far as this report, unfortunately, and those who never made it outside the gate. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Sheila. I appreciate you coming on the air. Sheila Byrne, who was sent to St. Patrick's Mother Baby Home on the Navin Road when she was just 19 years of age. This is, as I said, we will be talking about this just for today again. And I want to get your reaction to it. Maybe you were in a Mother Baby Home. Um, but I want to get your reaction to the, the idea that going forward, uh, they said they're going to have a lot of stuff in place by April. And they may have to have a referendum that every child or every mother indeed that went to a mother baby home has the right to information. That, the, In other words, that these adoptions, the legal aspect of these adoptions is not worth the paper it was written on because it wasn't, in my view, this wasn't consensual adoption. The report, as far as I'm concerned, lies and said there's no evidence of systematic forced adoptions. There were certainly adoptions that were consensual, without a shadow of a doubt. There were women who don't regret the adoptions. Uh, I think they're in the minority, to be honest with you. The majority of women I've spoken to if they could do it all again, would have never signed those pieces of paper. And many of those women didn't sign a piece of paper. The, fr- the signatures were fraudulent. So I believe that all those adoptions should be null and void for mother and baby homes. Every single one of them. The other thing as well, the word illegitimate was against your human rights, was put on your birth certificate. Uh, adoptive, mother and, adoptive mothers and fathers' names were put on children's birth certificates. That was fraud. That was illegal. But they did it anyway. So in other words, they gave you a short-form birth certificate with your new mother and father's name on it. Illegal. All illegal. But sure, doesn't go, they didn't go into all that in the report. Keep texting, keep WhatsApping. Somebody says, Niall, um, I do believe that, the, the, well, they, I don't have it in front of me here, but paraphrasing what they said, they believe that it should be available and audible online as well. And it should be, absolutely. It should be available for, for those maybe who don't have the wherewithal to read it or the time to read it, maybe some elderly people or whatever, somebody could play it back for them in their own time, uh, you know, in some audio version. Absolutely. It's 3,000 pages, for God's sake. It's like a book. It's actually... <laughs> Think about it, it's actually three or four times the size of a book. Uh, Tony, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Tony? Good afternoon. How are you doing, Niall? Are you well? Good. Tony, I mean, I, I know you haven't read the report. It's silly of me to ask anybody have they read it. It's 3,000 pages, but have you, I'm sure, like everybody else, you've looked through the papers and skimmed the highlights. Looked at the papers, and what, what was in it, what, 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 what Mr. Minister Bradker said yesterday was of no surprise to me, because I actually had some confidential documents that, that was actually drawn up by the FOI 
in, in the HSE. So I, it came as no, no surprise whatsoever. It came, and, and I'll be honest with you, Tony, I'm surprised. I was a little bit taken back by the fact that the state are now saying that there was no evidence of systematic abuse, considering the state has de- defined abuse in the last few years, particularly when we talk about domestic abuse, as coercive control, for example, which would be the, the case in relation to this. And the state found no evidence of systematic force adoptions. Sure, every That's woman right, I've yeah. spoken to didn't give That's informed right. consent. That's correct. That's correct. I'm I mean, looking, that's I'm disgusting. Looking, uh, it's disgusting. I'm actually, I'm actually looking at a letter here that was that, that was sent. That was sent. I won't name the gentleman uh, uh, in the HSE. Uh, it, it's not one that was available readily, uh, and it was sent to the pr- principal officer in the Department of Children on the first of November two thousand and twelve. And this man clearly highlights the wrongs and the doings of adoption and, and <clears throat> how they were how they were actually. Uh, um, this is actually from the, from the Board of Management minutes of the adoption of the Sacred Heart, right? Mm. And it says, and this, is, this is the lax way they had of doing it. Uh, a very nice couple living in Limerick. This is the, the actual records. Their own hotel. They, their ages are redacted. They have, they have a very happy home and plenty of this world's goods. That was the word that was used instead of saying they were wealthy. Yeah. They said they have plenty of this world's goods. Would like to adopt a baby. The committee passed them, and if and this is the most damning thing. And if babies are to spare, they will get one. Hmm. Now, if babies are to spare, it, it know, almost sounds like one. we spoke about babies like commodities. You know what I mean? That's right. Yeah, you know, like yeah. accessories. If they, if they're, if they're, have you got <clears> a few <throat> spare ones down there? Yeah. You, it, that's what it says. Babies are to spare. Yeah, and then it, it, on this entry, then record uh, recorded on the March the thirteenth, nineteen seventy seven, which reveals the lax attitude of the Sacred Heart trustees towards child protection. It reads. Ages are 32 years and are from Tralee. They are married 10 years and have a very comfortable home. They have all the necessary investigations. Mr. Redacted works in the Redacted factory. They are anxious to adopt a little girl. They have received a good reference from the priest, but no gather clearance. This entry is then followed by the declaration passed, and and then it says italics are mine. You know, so I mean, that, that, I mean, that is- I mean, I do want to say something. Don't get me wrong. The majority of people, or a lot of people that I've spoke to, went to good homes, right? And, and so, yep. you know, I, I am I'm not picking on that part of it because I mean, look, my mother and father. I think my my father donated three hundred pounds uh, to St. Louise's Adoption Society for St. Patrick's Home on the Navan Road. I think that was something like that. I think I seen a, a figure like that on, on a receipt yeah, he yeah. had. Yeah. But and and I went to a good home. I had a good life. They, you know, they were very good to me and everything. And so I don't regret any of that. You know, yeah. but I often wonder what my life would have been like if I didn't. <laughs> but I, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. with your mother. I mean, but Tony, Tony, <clears throat> just just getting back to you. You went. You spent time in Temple Hill, and we and just Sheila told us about Temple Hill a few minutes ago. Her son was moved to Temple Hill. That's right. What, how did you end up spending time in Temple Hill? Uh, it was well. They were moving me from A to B. They were moving me from A to B. You see. So uh, as I said, well, uh, nine foster homes and two institutions. You know, and, and how did you end up in nine foster homes and two institutions? Well, I got the, I, got, I managed to get the records. It was just uh, going from one from one foster parent to the other. Some were, some were good, some weren't. Now, sadly, as I, as you quite rightly said, I, I was in some nice homes, and one 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 very nice home I was in, and, and sadly, the poor lady was only laid to rest on on on, uh, on Saturday last, and that oh, was Maureen gosh. Grant from the Maureen Grant from the Olympia. Oh gosh! Sorry to hear that. The the Queen of the Olympia, a lovely woman, a lovely woman. Now I went down to County Mayo uh, when I was five and a half years of old, of age, sorry, and uh, that was a different kettle altogether. I did. Now I was working for Mayo County Council at fifteen and a half years of age, and I was in England at sixteen and a half years of age. Now, so that that without me going into any graphic details, that would Mm. tell you the story. 
And do you, do you know who your birth mother was? I do. I've met them. Yeah, I've met my family. I've met. Okay. I've met. I've met. I've met and how long did it, how long did it take you to get that information? Thirty-five years. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Thirty-five years. Uh, and the first, and the first, I got two letters in 1967 in England when I was really seeking information from the Catholic Protection Society, CPRSI. And the letters I got back was, we have no, absolutely no records whatsoever belonging to you, nothing at all, only the best, only the details of your best, which you already have. It turned out when I went to court that they had three big files on me. That's outrageous. That's See, now I, yeah, I'm in the same situation. I had asked them for information. They gave me three little slips of paper. Uh, one right. is a birth record. One was something about me being sick in St. Kevin's and getting vaccinations or something like that. That's right. Yeah, uh, they're very good at that, isn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the other one, I don't even know. I can't even understand the handwriting on the other little slip. They're only, when I say slips of papers, they're like cards you put into a little file in a library. You know those cards? Yeah, that's yeah. what they do. Yeah, yeah. That and, and that was it. And I said, is that all you have? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, so well, are you telling me, Tony, they've more information on me? Oh, of course they have. Oh, they, they, they have got to have the law of the United States. Now, I, I, I'll tell you how I, we, we, I didn't know this until, until uh, 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 you, you might know the journalist, Helen Quinn took up my story first. Mm-hmm. Helen Quinn from the Irish Press, a lovely girl, a lovely woman. She's now, I think she's now retired. But, but she, she, was, she was delving into all that uh, side of things at that time. And she wrote a paragraph for me called, Who Am I? As a child of the 40s. I have it here in front of me. Now, from that, she said... She came with me to several places, to the National Maternity Hospital, to the, to the CPRSI, and she said, the line, the line, she said. Now, she said, leave this with me, she said, because I have a, I have a brilliant friend, a barrister, who is into constitutional law. And that, that, that lady, that lady is actually a top judge today. It's called Marie Baker, a beautiful woman, a beautiful woman. And she said, now, the only way, the only way to go, you, you can be writing letters for the next 20 years, which we nearly were. Yeah, but she said the only thing is we must take a case, and the case has got to be a constitutional case, not just based on your constitutional right to your identity. Yes, of course. Something for something, something for of the of the uh, that you are entitled to your identity to know that identity, and you are entitled to know the identity of your family. Okay, but here's the question I want to ask you. Then seems you're into that and you understand all that. Do you believe? And this is something that was in the report yesterday about they might have to have a referendum. Do you believe your constitutional right to the information of knowing who your mother and father is, for example, or knowing your medical information or your background, do you believe that trumps the right of, say, a mother who may have willingly gave up a child for adoption and in a mother and baby home, moved on with her life, got married, had three kids, never told her husband and kids? Do you believe your right trumps her right to stay private? Well, uh, well, Because that's, that's the only problem, isn't it? Yeah, well, well, yeah, but there should be room for there should be room for manoeuvre in that. But this is what they I, I talked about in the report. They said yes, the mechanism could be put in place to allow a birth mother to argue that her privacy rights are being eroded. But if that was yeah. the case, they should they could all argue that. But I, my yeah. my feelings on it is, Tony, is your mother gave birth to you, my mother gave birth to me, and. Even even if one, let's say, for example, if your mother willingly and didn't wasn't coerced into signing an adoption uh, mm-hmm. consent form, mm-hmm. either way, I don't believe anybody has the right to deny a child. I no. believe that every mother has to who had a child um, right. should be and when I say answerable but responsible. Now I'm not I'm not saying you should be forced to have a relationship with your son or your daughter, but in saying that that child should have the right to know who you are. That's right, that's and right. I and I believe that. I'm with, you, I'm, with you, I'm with you all the way down the line with that. Yeah. But, but, but getting back to the... I mean, just very quickly, I've only got a minute here, Tony, but go on. Yeah, sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah but, but, but I mean, the, 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 uh, the, to, me, to me, that was, a, that, was, that was a hatchet job done by, the, done by Judge Yvonne Murphy, and it was a whitewash. 
Now, to me, because you said you found no evidence whatsoever, my my documents here from the HSE by the senior, what it, uh, it says, uh, natural mothers don't care, okay, uh, by adoptive parents who paid a large sum of money, 50 to 60 pounds in 1950, payable by, by premium. In Galway, it says, the mother and baby home in Galway was totally involved with the provision of babies to the American adoptive market. There are letters from senior church authorities asking for babies to be identified by the American adoptive market. Well, they were baby factories. And just, just sorry, finally, just before you go, Tony, when you were going through, obviously, the whole system between foster homes, and not so much the foster homes, but back in state care. Um, That's right. Was there physical abuse? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, that, so, what, so what are they talking about in the report when they say there's no evidence of systematic that's abuse? I, that's, uh, uh, we're finishing this note now, and this is why it's, I'm glad you asked me that question. That's why I had to leave County Mayo. I won't name the, I won't name the thing, but there was a court case because of I, I was physically and sexually abused by by oh. uh, a member a, a member of the state. I won't say whether he was okay. gathered or what he was. But anyway, there was a court. That's, case. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, Tony. I'm really sorry. Yeah, to there hear was that. a court case. There was a court case about it, and I never forget the judge. The judge's name was Mr. Was, was Gil Barry. And they were wanted to put me away. They wanted to put me back into the home the next day, right? The next day, the, the, which will be Saturday, and then and then the judge, uh, the solicitor, uh, got up and he said he had a word with somebody, and he says no. He says this man, you know, he said he said to the judge, this man can be taken back to the home straight away. You see, and the judge mm-hmm. said, and never forget his words. He said, it's out of harm's way. I want to put the lad. Well, that's that's awful, isn't it? And and Tony, I'm sorry you went through all that in your life, and I know you've you've had a difficult life, Tony. You really have had a difficult life. And by the way, all the problems that you know spiral when you when your life spirals out of some level of control are created by somebody. And in this occasion, I think all these problems have been created by the state and the Catholic Church. Listen, Tony, I appreciate you coming on the air, and I wish you well. All right. Well, let me just go to uh, John, who is one of the St Patrick's Guild group, uh, Sisters of Charity, and he disagrees uh, with the idea of uh, people having, I suppose, full access to all information. Well, you know, just like that, it should be just the norm, so to speak. Uh, John, good afternoon, Niall. Okay, why why would you disagree? I mean, they've talked about this in the report, by the way, that they may change the law, but they might have to have a referendum about everybody's right to know their identity. Why would you disagree with that? Yeah, no, I. It's not that I disagree with it. It's just there's another side, another side to that coin. So yeah, I accept that. You expressed your your um, your backing to you know, a, a, an open uh, availability of all the information. It's, so in my, in my case, and I'll keep this very brief, I was contacted at 60 years of age and told by Tusla that my adoption was, el- was illegal. And uh, following on from that, and a lot of contacts, very, very difficult contacts with, Tus- with Tusla, um, I found that they were, because I was one of the St. Patrick's Gill group, they were contacting all mothers and children and informing them that their adoptions were illegal. Yeah. And I didn't want... I had had a very good adoption and I had all the same questions and insecurities and everything of any other adopted uh, child. But I did not want my mother, who potentially was 80, 80 years of age, 85 as it turned out, 85 years of age, being contacted and asked about something which had transpired in May 1960. When in you say you didn't event, want your mother being contacted, you mean your adoptive mother or your biological mother, sorry? My, yeah, I don't actually use those terms. I know, so I know. My, my but it's mother, just to clarify my, my for mother, people listening. My mother who gave me up for adoption. Okay. So I didn't want her, her contacted. In the event that she had gone through potentially a horrific time 
1960. And we're hearing all these stories, stories now which are really disturbing. And I felt that had my mother managed to move on after my birth and was now 85 years of age and she had kept that secret with her all her life and not told possibly her... But her I did mention that to the previous caller, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I know, know I do that understand that. So, and by the way, they did so say, they, well, let me, let me just clarify, okay. they did say if there were, they were going to change the law and there were, might have to be a referendum, they would say there would be a mechanism put in place to allow a Bert Mother to argue that her privacy rights had been eroded. Now, that would mean that yeah. the Bert Mother okay. would have to go to the circuit court. But, but in Absolutely. saying that, but if a mother gives birth, and my argument yeah. here is that I spent years looking to find out who my mother was, and I got very okay. little help from the, the society, from St. Louise's yeah. at the time, or from yeah. St. Patrick's Home on the Navan Road, or from Tuesday, yeah. or from anybody. I got very little help. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up going in a registry birth office and ended up like a Columbo. So, and I ended up with five women's names. And yeah, I wasn't I sure which too. one it was. I could have called to all five of them. I did. I did too. I physically did. Went through but do you, all that yeah, but do you not believe that we, whether or not, I mean, if a mother gives birth no. to a child, I, I understand. No, I do understand what you're saying, John. I really, no, you really don't. do. You've missed, you've missed my point. You see, my point is that Tusla said to me they were contacting my mother. And I said, I don't want you to. Okay? So they made the decision to contact my mother. It, they weren't doing it for me. So who were they doing it for? It was their decision after 60 years to go hunting down this woman who was living... To tell her that the, the, the adoption was illegal. was illegal. And whereas there could so much easily have been... You're aware of the contact, adoption contact register and the way that worked. You know, it was a, a very yes, yes. on, on invasive manner in which these things were, were but that didn't. Yeah, but that didn't work because I'll tell you why. I left my information with Nexus House with Tursla, uh, yeah. saying I was looking for information. My sister, who lives in England, who was a year younger than me and also born in St. Patrick's Home on the Navan yeah. Road, she left her information, yeah. and yet we were never connected. Okay, and I was never connected either. And the reason I was never connected was because they gave me a new birth search. So I only learned my name in May. Mm. But the point I'm making is that 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 old system didn't work. But I, 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 but okay, I, I think we disagree anyway, John. Because I, but I do appreciate and I respect your opinion and I do understand what you're saying. But I do think that yes, there will be problems. There absolutely will be problems, and there will be mothers who have moved on with their lives, who may have children, who may be married, who hasn't told their husbands about their previous past, or maybe they put okay. a child up for adoption. And I get all that, but I do believe if you're a mother who gives birth, you must take responsibility for the birth of that child. I, I, I agree with you all in that, but I'm just putting you like this wasn't either a child or a mother who was looking for information. No, I know, I know, I, I get you, to, I get I you. No, no, I, I think, and I agree with you, in the situation you were in, and that circumstance and different circumstances would have to be looked at, there is no reason to contact your birth, your, I know you don't like the term birth mother, but there's no reason to contact her. No, I'm talking instruction from the ministers of home at the time was to contact all these people and tell them that their uh, adoption was illegal. And my 85-year-old mother got a call, living thousands of miles away, from somebody in Tusla who said, I want to talk to you about something that happened in May 1960. They never told her what the purpose of the call was or why they were instructed or who they were doing it on behalf of. 
No, 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 I, I get you. And I'm sorry, I'm running out of time, John. I really appreciate your call. But I have a funny feeling, by the way, uh, very shortly, because I don't think people are happy with this report, that all adoptions that were carried out between 1922 and 1998 in these homes are going to be deemed illegal, to be honest with you, because I don't believe it was informed consent. Anyway, listen, John, thank you very much indeed, and I accept your opinion. I got a very interesting email from somebody else. that said, Dear Niall, my being sits still in silence this week as I hear the media reports of the outcome of the investigation of the mother and baby homes. Deep and consumed in my heart and my mind, I reflect on my career from 1990. Um, Face stories, names pass by in my silence. The stories are the truths of the people I worked with, the people whom were described as retarded and handicapped, whom lived in these institutions during and after the closure. Peace flutters in and out of my being in the hope the truths will be heard, short-lived today, and it's failure after failure after failure. I was absolutely floored and continue to hold my breath when I heard that the HSE are in control of the helpline for those who are affected by this, the very health service whom denied and defended this horrendous abuse and who denied mothers and babies of their life. The HSE in the state, whom are so confident uh, of their investigations after investigations, apologies, falseness, etc., etc., that cannot fully embrace what the mothers and babies continue to scream for and to the re- and the re-trauma uh, must be so horrendous. How could they not offer an independent helpline severed from the HSE or think past uh, their historical dehumanised culture? As employees past and present, we all knew the stories of the past, the profound truths, and we will live with them forever knowing we did nothing. And the person who wrote me that email is Don. Uh, Don, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. It's a wonderful email, by the way. Absolutely wonderful email. I really felt what you were trying to say there. And the government spoke yesterday about putting things in place before April, uh, you know, counselling services, um, tracing and tracking, etc., etc. But you're right, all to be looked after by the HSE. Um, And you, I'm not saying you don't trust the HSE, but you don't believe it's the right thing to do. I absolutely don't. And I think there's an element of distrust over the years in in relation to the HSE. The HSE were part of this Mm -hmm. and will continue to be part of this. And Tusla, of course, yes, Tusla. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, I mean, I, I have obviously dealt with it in my own personal situation because I was born in a mother and baby home and I've dealt with Tusla and I found them to be absolutely useless, to be honest with you, Don. Um, and I'm, I don't mind saying that. I don't know what department you worked in uh, or what part of the, the HSE you worked in, but obviously, and you'll have to tell me, but obviously you felt there was failures in the way it was dealt with. Absolutely. And I, uh, I worked in um, an institution yeah. Uh, services for people with intellectual disability. And, um, yeah, I worked there from 1990 mm-hmm. to about five years ago. And I heard the stories. Um, yeah, and I suppose there's a failure on me as an employee and as a support to those people that I didn't speak up or I didn't do anything. There is a level of guilt. Uh, there's a level of guilt in society, and there must be today for all the people and the members of Angarda Shikana as well, who were around at the time, and everybody kind of knew what was going on. Everybody knew, but nobody actually did anything. You know, nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. We talked about it. We talked. And why? About why do you think that was? Was it that the state? Well, not the state. The Catholic Church, I suppose, was were running these institutions. Was it, and they ran the, the HSE at the time, which was it was kind of the regional health service at the time. It was run by the Catholic Church and it was run by nuns, etc., etc. Mind you, some of them did a powerful job at running the health service in this country. Probably a lot better than some, you could say, some of it's been done now. But in saying that, was did they have too much power? 
I think it was power and I think there was a sense of fear even in employees mm -hmm. not to speak up. We all spoke about it. We all said how, how horrendous it was and how shocking, you know, but those stories were, and we all believed those stories, you know, and some of us in the 80s, 90s witnessed them, mm -hmm. you know, witnessed the abuse, witnessed the terrible um, they're still in um, denial if you look at the report absolutely. the report states there's no evidence the of systematic abuse yeah absolutely you know? no no I would have um, like people would have talked to me about being thrown down the stairs beatings head and body forced into cold plunge baths dragged and pulled by the hair whipped by straps their hair cut um, very tightly they were all lined up Saturday night to get their hair cut, um, their teeth extracted because they were biters. Um, oh my! Yeah. And why? Uh, why do you think? I mean, they talked about misogyny in the report as well, and and I would somewhat agree, of course, that it was a world run by men primarily, but. In saying that, a lot of the institutions would have had female well, employees. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and so they knew what they were doing. Yeah, so absolutely. I don't necessarily completely agree with the misogyny aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But why do you think women in particular were so dehumanised by the Catholic Church and this stigma that was put on them because, you know, they committed this cardinal sin of getting pregnant? Maybe that was controlled. It was the control that they had. Mm. I, I, um, only they can answer that. Yeah. Um, do you know... And, and when you when you read the report or hear, and particularly over the last three days, you're hearing so many stories, probably on this show and many other shows and, and on news and everything else, it must be very difficult for you to listen, knowing that you worked in those departments at the time. It's absolutely, and I can hear those stories being told to me by those people. It's just like a, a sideshow. I'm seeing faces, I'm remembering people, um, and mm. that's their story, and some of them are long past, you know. Mm. Um, and that will continue. Like this morning, I heard it. It was about uh, they were made drink out. They were drinking out of toilets. Do you know? Mm. Now we look at that as a behaviour. Yeah. Do you know when that happens? It's it's a behaviour. It's classed behaviour. But these are people that came from the, those institutions that continue. Yeah. You know, it, it's. Um, it's and in, very in relation to the information and the helplines for these people, and, and to access. I suppose, uh, you know, psychotherapists if they need them or whatever they need because they said this, the government said they will put supports in place by April. Um, I don't think it's enough, mind you, but however. Um, do you believe that those supports will be exactly the same as the supports that were already there before and and, I've, and, we just, and they were useless? Absolutely. I mean, I, as I mentioned yesterday, I was in my car one day driving and I had a woman who could, I could only say sounded like a nun. She was from Nexus House and she rang me and told me that I had a sister after 50 years. Now, don't get me wrong, I have a thick skin, but there are other people who could take that particularly badly. And the idea of doing that, rather than, say, writing to the person, calling them in for a meeting with maybe, you know, a psychiatrist or somebody that could help them psycholo psychologically present to deal with that kind of information, rather than just telling somebody over the phone, by the way, you have a sister. Absolutely. And to deal with information like that, you need to have an element of trust mm -hmm. in the person that's giving you that information as well. And... You need time to absorb it and to to take it in. There's a huge element. Uh, there's a huge lack of trust. Yeah. These people have been done, done a huge injustice. Uh, the women, the, 
babies and those people who went on to live in the institutions that were developed after that. You know, and we're as an ex-employee, we're all we, we've come from that. Yeah. You know, um, I I just feel I feel strongly that it should be independent. Uh, that if there's uh, counselling services, that it should be of choice, and people should have the choice to go to their own independent counsellors. In, in relation to what they talked about, uh, a person's right to know their identity. Um, which I think is very important. Um, do you believe that should be a constitutional right? Absolutely, but I would have huge uh, concerns for the mothers. They, they've gone through so much trauma, so this is going to take a, a lot of a, a lot of time needs to be given as well. Like this huge story, this huge trauma out there as well. But I do think people that mm. uh, that people should have. To and, and in your right. job, in your line of work at the time. Uh, going back to those days, and I, I hate to bring back bad memories for you, and, and nobody is blaming you, Don, or any of the people responsible, because, of course, that was what you were told to do. Um, that was just your job, and I suppose that was society at the time. I mean, did you have people actually physically telling you stories over a phone, looking for help or looking for support? In my line, it would be direct contact, so it wasn't over the phone. It okay. was, uh, they, would, they would talk about it. Some would talk about it very freely, others would, it would be just passing conversations. Mm. Um, I remember um, probably around 2004, a lady came in and um, she sat down and she set the scene and for about an hour she spoke and she spoke about her past Mm. and she she told me to get on with my work and I, I just sat at the desk and I listened and every now and again I would come in and reassure that I was hearing what she was saying. And for about an hour, an hour and a half she spoke and uh, then there was a silence and I went in behind uh, just a curtain and I said to her, to see, I, I hear what you're saying and she mm. said, um, I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, it's not your fault. And mm. I said, would you like to speak to somebody? You need to tell, talk about this. Yeah. You need to talk about this. And, she and was, she, was she talking about abuse, that she had been yes, abused? absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. when I say abuse, I don't want to go into too much of the detail of the individual, but was it physical and sexual abuse? It was physical abuse. Okay. And emotional abuse as okay. well. Yeah. And that, that, by the way, that's something that I mentioned earlier on. We, we've established in this country over the last two or three years because we brought in legislation for domestic violence about coercive control. Um, and we class that as abuse. We've redefined the word abuse, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. But yet in this report, it said the state it says there's no evidence of systematic abuse. So in other words, just because people weren't being beaten constantly with sticks, it meant that they weren't abused, abused according to this report. Um, which I find really demeaning to those women. That's demeaning, yeah. Absolutely, that's yeah. Demeaning, and yeah. it's horrendous. And it also goes on to say... In terms of abuse, the report states that the Commission did not hear any evidence of sexual abuse of child residents, but did hear some evidence of physical abuse, which, while unacceptable, was minor in comparison to the evidence given by the Ryan Report. This in relation to the Ryan Report, was the, which was the clerical abuse of children, the sexual abuse of children. But do we even refer to any abuse as minor? Minor, absolutely. You know, it, kind of, it, it just... Yeah. I don't know. And we would have heard, heard stories about men and priests calling at night time, um, lost children. Yeah. Um, when, when you say when you say pre, when you say priests calling at night time, calling into the homes at night time. Yes. Yeah. And what were they calling in for? 
well, that was kind of left open to our own whatever we interpreted out of it, but they would have been calling in at night time, late at night. They would have spoke about that. They would have spoke about uh, the And re- remembering, of course, that all those, a lot of those women in those situations would have been quite vulnerable. Some would, would have lacked education as well. Absolutely. And, and some of been, them had yeah. disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. And priests yeah. and men were coming in late at night. Yeah, yeah. And the weekly then dress up, it was usually of a Sunday where they were dressed up for visitors coming in. So it would be bishops, uh, family, uh, people would come in and they were to dress up and there was a lovely spread of food put out. And as soon as that was gone, as soon as the visitors were gone, the clothes were taken off and their food was taken mm. away. So it was kind of like a false, this false yeah. front to make it all look yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my... That, that um, must be terrible, was, Don, for you to, to witness that and think about that. That must be terrible when you look back and remember all and that. It's horrendous, and we do. We, we, we had a responsibility. We went to work in these areas because of our of the ethos, their ethos, and uh, love for people, and our own moral values that we were brought up with, and we sailed them. And, and, we how, and how do you that. feel now, you know, when you think back at this and when you re-remember all this now? I mean, at the time... It again, again and, and by the way, Don, again, I'm not blaming you or blaming those people, particularly lay people as well, who are involved in the running of these places, but any of these institutions or any types of institutions like this at the time that were primarily run by the Catholic Church. But are, are you, when you look back now and you re-remember everything that you remember at the time, and obviously you see it now with 2021 glasses on you, how does that feel now to you? I feel a deep sadness. It's almost like re-trauma for me as well. Um, I I regret, I suppose we had three choices. We could get out, get out of the environment, you know, go work someplace else. Uh, we could have become like them. Mm-hmm. Or we could go, went in and done the best that we could do. Don't get me wrong, I loved every moment of my years there. I met great people, and they actually, it was those people uh, that made me a better person. The mm. people that I worked with, worked with, they made me a better person. Um, but I do have huge regrets that I didn't do more. And this will continue, and it continues today, and we will be talking about it today in 30 years' time. The only difference now is that we have a suite of policies and procedures that protect us. It looks like it's it's seen seen it seems like we're doing the right thing, mm. but it will continue today. And there's mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters out there that are fighting still for basic rights for people in in these institutions and in these homes. Yeah. And that will continue. Don, I wish you well and I wish you peace and I hope at some so I, I, I hope at some point you can time. you can kind of get all this into your head and, and, and again I say to you and I say to any people by the way lay people who worked in these institutions provided of course you weren't part of the abuse um, that you know you shouldn't blame yourself because that was the way it was and people were told what to do and that's the way society was and that's the way the Catholic Church ruled with an iron fist and and I, I'm thinking of what you just said there that you know the girls would be dressed up for the bishops coming in and you know and this kind of false idea that they thought they were doing the right thing but of course they weren't they must have known no. they weren't doing the right thing no. that's like and in, two, in 2014, 2015, I would have attended a big rollout in relation to allegations of abuse and reporting of abuse. 
and the opening of that meeting, that that um, training day, was um, we know we know about the abuses of the past, but we're here today. But even the, how flippant it was actually opened and how it was said, mm-hmm. it, we will never address this unless it's the truth. If these people have to be heard for healing and for them to continue with their life, no amount of money, no amount of... Um, it's about acknowledgement. And, and, acknowledgement. And, we, and we haven't done that. This report we doesn't do that. We, it doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. So uh, why is Michal Martin going to apologise? How can you apologise for something that you can't acknowledge actually happened in the first place? Yeah, and he said it very clearly today in relation to uh, his remarks. Yeah. You know, he described it, his remarks. Mm-hmm. These people don't need remarks. Yeah. They want truth. Listen, Don, thank you again. Thank All you right, guys. and I wish you peace. All right, thank you very much indeed. All right. Let me go to Luke, uh, who's a, Luke Silk is a campaigner for Toom and was at the Zoom meeting with the Taoiseach yesterday. Luke, good afternoon to you. How are you, Niall? How are things? Uh, well, Luke, how did that go, by the way, the Zoom meeting yesterday with the Taoiseach? Um, it was very odd, I have to say. So I'm, um, I'm on a database of interested people, survivors and relatives of survivors that the Department of Children has. Um, so we'd be kept in touch by email from the department from time to time. Um, we would have got an email, for example, when the thing was leaked, an apology from the minister, sorry that this was leaked. We would have got an email like that. Um, but there was a lot of confusion about this meeting, um, whether or not we'd be allowed to ask questions and that sort of thing. And no one seemed to be able to clarify that for us until we actually were at the meeting. And then they said, yeah, you'll be able to ask questions. Um, and they said, type it into a comment bar. But it wasn't actually a Zoom call, it was WebEx or something like that, and there was just no comment bar, there was no facility through which to ask questions. Now, it's something that you touched on just there as well, is about how many of these women um, were vulnerable. Um, And you talked about how some had disabilities and that, and, and, you know, they're still the same. A lot of these survivors are, you know, vulnerable people. Um... They have, they have their own troubles and things like that, and they're very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, largely, I imagine, due to their upbringing and their experiences and what they've been through. Um, and a lot of them, of course, are elderly as well. So I felt that the whole idea of a Zoom call just wasn't appropriate. You know, you're sending an email to these survivors. They're trying to download the app, create an account and a password, and then go into this Zoom meeting. And the host of the meeting kept all of the microphones of the survivors muted throughout and it, the tone then that, that the minister and the Taoiseach took was just very odd. So well, that's what I wanted to ask you, just in your opinion, because I don't have a huge amount of time, Luke, but just in your opinion, do you believe that Michal Martin acknowledges what happens or understands? Do you think he has a very good understanding of it? Because I got the impression yesterday at the press conference when I watched it that the only one out of all of them, um, to me, that had an understanding or that was passionate about it was Anne Rabbit. Um, and yeah. I just got the impression that although he wants to apologise and he means that, and he means well, if you know what I mean, I don't think he really. I don't think he has a very good understanding, and I think he accepts the report. Yeah, I think I think he does, and I think the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, does as well. Oh, well, look, I, um, I'm going to write him off completely, to be honest with yeah. you, because I think he just he's just Stephen Donnelly. Um, yeah, no, it, the tone was totally different. You see, with him, like when he started the press conference after the meeting, it was all about. 
misogyny and it was all about the, this sort of language. There was none of that in the meeting. The meeting was very different. He began the meeting by saying, look, I'm sorry to the survivors here. You're going to be disappointed with the findings and conclusions of this report. And then he began to list, you know, there's no evidence of sexual abuse. There's no evidence of... Physical abuse, or physical abuse of forced adoptions and all that kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. And the, the, the problem is, you see, a lot of these survivors would maintain that they experienced this type of abuse. But, um, but, but what it's essentially saying, what the report is essentially saying is you're all exaggerating. That's yeah, what the report what, is saying. What, the, minister, what the, the tone of the minister would lead me to believe that the suggestion is that the survivor's testimony is not credible and it's not considered evidence. So he basically said this to the survivors while keeping all of their microphones muted. And these are vulnerable survivors and, and they were just let out of the call. And then to, to add salt to the wounds, that we were supposed to get the report before the media, but they didn't. No. The report, there was an email glitch, as is so common with this government, and it was 20 to 5 before the survivors re- received a work. And as you me. point out, many of these survivors are elderly people. And, mm. and you know, it was available online for the same at the same time for everybody, including mm. the media and including everybody else, right? I mean, and I watched one picture last night which kind of summed it up of a woman in her 80s, I think she was, and she was trying to watch it on a laptop on a wheelie bin outside her front door. And I'm mm. going, like, that sums it up. That, 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 sh- that There should have been a physical copy of the report, although long and big, should have been given a week ago to all those survivors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before anybody else. 100%. And that woman, for example, that you see in the, I saw an interview she did there in the co- last couple of days, Rose McGuinney, she gave birth in Tume. She's one of the very few, I think there's only two surviving mothers um, from the Tume home. And she would maintain that the guards brought her to the home when she was pregnant. The report found no evidence. That but the but I, had a woman on yes, I had a woman so, on yesterday, the same situation. She was brought mm. by a parish priest and a school teacher, mm. you know, to the home. And then another girl told us yesterday she was sent to meet a nun at the Gresham Hotel, who then in turn brought her to the home, to Dunboyne. Yeah, yeah. So for the government to turn around and, and the commission to turn around and say there's no evidence of this. It's nonsense. In a meeting with the survivors, that's a huge slap in the face to those survivors. Well, well you might as well just go on a Zoom meeting and say you're all a bunch of liars. Yeah, exactly. And mute all the microphones so they can't challenge it. It was, a, it was an incredibly cold, cold meeting, I have to say. Luke, thanks for sharing yeah. that with us. I, I don't think, with the greatest respect to Hall Martin, I, I think he means well, but I don't think he understands it. Roderick O'Gorman, mm. I think... Maybe I'm being patronised and saying he's too young to understand it. And I don't think he gets it. He just reminds me of another um, Stephen uh, Donnelly. I, I think he just says what's, mm. what's on the script. I think the only yeah. person there yesterday, really, for me, that felt they had a very good understanding and were passionate about it was Anne Rabbit. Of course. And she's, of course, the local TD in Shum and that. Yeah. And- yeah. I would have texted her when I couldn't ask the questions. I would have texted Deputy Rabbit. You know, no, I was very proud. Yeah. I was very proud to listen to her yesterday. I think she had a very good understanding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And she didn't mince yeah. her words. She didn't mince her words. Yeah. All right, listen, thank yeah. you very much indeed, Luke. I appreciate you coming on the air. All right. Okay. Uh, I just don't think the politicians really get it. I don't think they understand us. Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.